I was just uh, playing around with my YouTube channel. I had a YouTube channel up and um, I would uh, make random videos, you know, and I would do it myself company on my days off from my day job. I was working at a car wash, making minimum wage, you know, and I started running out of things to talk about. And I had been watching these tarot card readings and it was kind of a secret. I didn't want anybody to know that, that I was interested in that, you know? And then after a while, everything went dead and stagnant. And I just kept thinking, I wonder what would happen if I put a couple of those videos on my channel. And I batted it forth in my head for two or three months. Finally, I just gave in and said, you know what? I think I'm going to put a couple of those videos on my channel and see how it does. And maybe this will give me something new to do on my days off, just out of boredom. And it blew up. It blew up. And then everything started happening in my life, like one thing after another. It was totally out of my control, and I ended up backed into a corner with nothing but my YouTube channel as my only source of income. So I just kept going, and it just kept growing, and then I met Leah, and she took it and turned it into a business. And, uh, yeah, so right now that's my only source of income. But like I said, I just uh, started a new little podcast myself um, called The Awakening Experience, where I interview people and and have them share their experiences that are anything from, you know, paranormal, supernatural, near death. To start with, I mean, tarot is something that I've never really been a big believer of. I've always been more skeptical. I've, I've been for a couple of not tarot readings, but mediumship readings where they did use tarot. Um, a couple have been quite accurate. But the way my brain kind of works, I usually chalk it down to, you know, probability. You're bound to get something that matches here and there um but then i've never really looked deeply into the process of tarot and, and the experiences so what kind of started your interest in this kind of thing well it's it's a, a strange story actually um at one point in time my life became really unstable you know and i was just bouncing around the country and i'd be traveling from state to state meeting new people and living with them as roommates and during this journey, um, one of the people I was living with had a friend come over that I had never met before. And she came over and, and she randomly looked at me and said, I need to read for you. And I had no idea what that meant. I was like, okay, what do you mean? Read me a bedtime story? What are you talking about? You know? And she says, I need to read for you. You know, we went back and forth and she said, do, do you agree? Can I, can I read for you here in a few days? And I said, Sure. I have no idea what she's talking about. And I gave her my phone number and she called me two or three days later and, and said, hey, can, can we still do that? Can I come pick you up? I said, yeah. So she came and picked me up and we went to her house and she starts flipping these weird looking cards that I've never seen before. And long story short, she's telling me like details about my childhood that nobody knows. You know, for example, um, I was raised by my grandparents. And when I was 23, I came home and found my grandfather dead on the floor. And I had just come from the store to, to buy him a package of pipe tobacco. He smoked a pipe. And throughout this reading, I remember she said, she said, there's somebody that wants to talk to you. Somebody on the other side. And I said, okay. She goes, who do you know that smoked a pipe? And, I, and that's when she had my attention. I was like, whoa, you know? So it started from there. That captivated me. That hooked me. And 
One thing led to another, like I said, she gave me this really accurate reading, started telling me things that were going to happen and and they started happening. And I kind of tucked that aside and didn't really think about it. That was really bizarre, you know, but the type of lifestyle that I was living, you know, bizarre things would happen, you know, when you're when you're out there and getting out and traveling and meeting people. So I kind of just buried it and forgot about it. And then about a year later, I had moved to the other end of the country. I was living up on the East Coast in Maine. And I would play around on YouTube and I would be flipping through YouTube and I kept seeing these tarot card readings being recommended to me. And I thought, that's the stupidest thing I've ever seen in my life, <laughs> you know? And, and I was like, who would watch that? But then I would notice, I'm like, wow, lots of people are watching that. Those, these things are getting 10,000, 20,000, 50,000 views. But nah, that's stupid. So I would scroll past it. But then I would remember that tarot reading that I got from that lady. And I was thinking, well, I'm convinced that it's legit because, you know, that reading that lady gave me was scary accurate, you know. And uh, but I kept tossing this back and forth. And, and, and finally, one day I decided to go ahead and click on one. And it described something that I had been going through that I kept to myself that was a secret, you know, of like a, a connection that I had experienced with a person. And I, and I got addicted to it. I was like, whoa, that is crazy. And I don't know if it was just me fitting that to, you know, you know what I'm saying? But I got addicted to it. So it was my little secret. I would sit and, and watch these tarot card reading videos in secret. And nobody knew about it. And I obsessively watched them for like a year. And never in a million years would I have ever considered picking up a deck of cards, you know? But I was trying to get clarity on a situation that I had been dealing with that I was having a hard time letting go of. And I thought, well, watching these videos isn't giving me the clarity that I want. So you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go up to the little spiritual store. I'm going to buy me a deck of tarot cards and I'm going to learn this myself. And that is where I'll be able to ask whatever questions I want and get the clarity that I'm looking for. And so that's the only reason that I ever picked them up and learned them, you know, and then it's, it's kind of a, a layered story. There's a lot of layers going on at the same time. I'm going to back up again and, and jump around a little bit. Back in 2015, I ended up losing everything and going homeless and lived under a bridge for about three or four months. And then I got a tent and moved into the woods and lived in the woods for another three or four months. And then when wintertime rolled around, I turned myself into a homeless shelter so I wouldn't be, you know, on the streets in the snow. And uh, I ended up acquiring a free government-issued cell phone. They called them Obama phones back in the day because, you know, remember those? Well, I acquired one of those, and I had left and went to a transitionary home so that I could get a job and start trying to get on my feet again. And I was sitting in McDonald's playing on their Wi-Fi to watch YouTube videos and I accidentally stumbled across a law of attraction video and I had never heard of such a thing. And I was like, whoa, are you kidding me? What? Is this real? You're telling me that all I have to do is reprogram my own brain and change the way that I think. And I can take this, this whole mess that I've been living in, of being homeless and living in homeless shelters. And I can like seriously make my, my dreams come true. Is this, is this legit? And I thought, you know what? What, what do I have to lose? I may as well try it. And I and I became addicted to 
learning how to apply the law of attraction to my life. So that kind of fits into where I was at this point when I first discovered these little tarot card readings. Because I had played around with manifesting little things in my life. And at this point, I was like, all right, it's time. I'm going to manifest my own business. You know, I'm going to manifest a business where I sit at home and work on the Internet and make six figures a year. So during this time, I was studying and researching how to build network marketing businesses, you know, affiliate marketing businesses and, and, and all these things. And in the background of that, like in my free time, that's when I would obsessively watch these little tarot card reading videos. And I would build a business and then it would crash and burn. And then I would pick up and build another little business and then it would crash and burn. And this happened maybe two, three, four times throughout the, the process to where I just finally took a step back and said, all right, I'm just taking a break. I have dumped so much money down the toilet and, and I'm, I'm taking a break. So that's when I kind of started playing around a little bit more on my YouTube channel, you know, and, and making videos just to keep myself occupied. You know, I didn't even think I didn't even think I would ever be allowed to be a YouTuber because I had a monetized video back when I was in my early 20s. And they shut my AdSense account down for invalid clicks on my ads. So, yeah, everybody always told me, well, it's over for you. You'll never be able to draw a check on YouTube ever again. You know, so that's what I had in my head. So that wasn't even an option to me. So I was just doing this out of boredom. And that's when I went ahead and, and gave it a rest, gave the manifestation a rest, and started playing around on my YouTube channel. And then one thing led to another. And then my tarot card reading videos blew up and I could feel a little intuitive voice in the back of my head saying, okay, here you go. Here's your business. And I was like, what? No, 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 no. I don't want this to be my business. You want this business? I was like, yeah. I mean, and this is a, a conversation I'm kind of having in my head, you know, I'm like, yeah, I, I want a business, but not this, this looks stupid. I, that, I don't fit into that. That's not me. You know, it's something that I do in my spare time, but I don't want to do this for money. No. And I, I was just like I said, I was backed into a corner where this was my only source of income. So I started thinking, well, I remember back when I would obsessively watch these tarot card reading videos, I would just spin around and around and around in a circle. You know, it, it, like people get addicted to it and they watch it and it, it, it doesn't lead them anywhere. You know, like they just spin in circles going nowhere. So I was like, well, I have been studying and researching the law of attraction and manifestation. And I even actually attended a kind of secretive mind mastery school uh, that was founded and taught by a former NASA scientist. And I learned a lot of little tips and tricks there, too. So I was like, you know what I can do? I can incorporate manifestation in creating your future into my tarot card readings. Because when people come to a tarot card reading, they're coming with the mentality of the future just happens to me. So you tell me what's going to happen to me. Well, I dedicated my life to learning how to take control of my own energy and create my future. So it put me in a strange position to where I'm in a position where everybody's coming to me wanting to know what future is going to randomly happen to them. And I don't even look at it like that. So why am I in this position? You know, so that that's why I started saying, no, nah, you know what I think I'm going to do? I think I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to read these cards and I'm going to let the people know 
that basically if you don't do anything to take control of your life and you just basically coast on autopilot, this is what is most likely going to happen. However, if you don't want that to happen, here's how you change it. Because no. any tarot card reader can tell you, you can change the outcome of this reading. You have free will. You can do whatever you want. They can tell you that, but I've never really met a tarot card reader that can tell you exactly how to do it. So I just really felt that my calling was to be put in this position, you know, to be able to help educate people on how to take control of their own future and start creating their future themselves. So essentially, that's my goal and my mission with the position that I'm in. Very interesting adventure, I suppose you had. From the yeah. beginning. So when you first went to um, the first tarot reader, when you were, was it 20, 22, 24? Um, what, what was it that kind of made you think this is legitimate over the fact that maybe, you know, this person's read so many people got so many things wrong and I just happened to be the one that she guessed correctly with, you know, I would have been thinking myself, you know, do you know someone with a pipe? That is very interesting. However, Looking at my age, I probably still have a grandparent who's alive. Chances are they probably do still smoke, you know, the old pipes. That's just the way my mind would have worked. But I'm assuming there were other kind of aspects that she or he got right that kind yeah, of uh, added up. Uh, so what what was it that made it legitimate for you as opposed to, you know, a series of maybe lucky guesses or even at worst case scenario, cold reading and things like that? Kind of the details around it. Um, back at that time, like I said, both my I was raised by both my grandparents I was taken away from my parents when I was two years old uh, because my sister and I were abused when we were really young and my parents were not fit parents. And uh, I ended up a drug addict alcoholic who was, I was a very bad person when I was younger, you know, and I would always steal from my grandfather. I was always, you know, slipping into his room while he was asleep and stealing his debit card and running to the, to the bank and stealing money out of his account, you know, and, and I would figure out how to pick the locks on his safe where he had his medications and I would steal his medications from him. I was, I was a really bad person, you know, and I made life very, very difficult on him. And when she was talking about this, she said, not only did she start really describing his personality, like he had a severe anger disorder that he had to be medicated for, you know? So she started describing little things like that, but she said, Whoever this is that wants to talk to you, all they want you to know is all I'm hearing is I forgive him. I forgive him. Tell him I forgive him for what he did. And that's when I was like, whoa, OK, I didn't tell her anything. I had this lady didn't know me from Adam, you know, and that right there, I think, had to have been the nail that that the final nail. Because like I said, she didn't know anything about me. She didn't know that. Uh, you know, I was a, a bad person or an addict or an alcoholic. She knew nothing about me, you know? So, you know, those little details are right there to me is when, and, and not only that, but she started giving me timelines of things that were going to happen. She says, you're not going to be living here forever. You will be moving. Chances are you're going to be moving right around the summer solstice because this, this happened in the, in the winter. And she says, you're more, you're most likely going to be here until summertime. And right as soon as it turns summertime, you're going to move. And one thing led to another in the, in the, the, the people that I was living with. And, you know, we started 
button heads, not seeing eye to eye. And it was, it was time for me to move. So I connected with somebody, you know, a random Facebook friend and they agreed. I said, look, I don't, I have nothing right now. The only thing I can promise you, if you want, you know, a roommate, I'll show up and immediately start looking for work and I'll help out. And, and, and she said, okay. And then she wrote me back a couple of days later and said, well, it's going to have to be right as soon as it turns summertime, you know, right around like, what day is that? June 21st, something like that. Like right as soon as it turns summertime, that's when it's, you know, cause I got this going on and I'm like, Whoa, you know what I mean? That started happening. And then I remembered that the reader told me you can change the outcome. You know, if you don't like what's happening, remember you can change it. And I remembered her saying that. So I was like, no, I got to go now. So I dug in, dug my heels in and and started working really hard to actually, you know, move now. You know, and we, we changed the, the timeline there. But there was just too many little details that seemed to me at the time like it would be impossible for anybody to accurately predict or account from the past. You know what I'm saying? So I was pretty well convinced, you know, after that. Mm -hmm. um, I must, you know, because when I went, to a, a reader she was i don't i can't remember if she was a tarot reader i think she was just kind of an energy reader um whatever that whatever that is um and i must say one thing that interested me is at the time i was writing an autobiography um because i've had you know anxiety and depression all my life and i thought let's write this down and you know see if it can help anybody and i said to her about this uh or did i no i don't think i i don't think i did no i didn't because she first mentioned when she was either reading, I can't remember if it was a long time ago, whether she was reading cards or, as I say, just reading energy, whether she was just a, a traditional psychic, but she was a medium mainly. But she said, you're going to write a book, and I see more than one book, and it's going to do very well. And I thought, oh, that's interesting, you know, because someone who was probably, what would I have been, 23 at the time or something like that, you wouldn't really associate me with writing a book. I'm not that sort of person. Um, but I said, yeah, okay, that, that's great. I am in the middle of writing this autobiography, blah, 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 blah. Um, that since kind of died out. It's still there, but I just haven't had real time to work on it. However, I have started writing a fiction novel as well. And I, I started writing that, not with that reading in mind. And that evolved to kind of planning a series of books, which would account for the two two or more, you know, more than one book that, that potentially does well. So I thought that's quite interesting after I thought later on back to that reading and where it kind of applies now. Um, so that kind of got me a little bit interested in it, but, you know, one thing led to another and that kind of slipped my mind and the interest kind of focused more on life after death and working with IANS and other organizations and things like that and doing Seeking Eye. Um, yeah. That's actually honestly my biggest passion too. Near death experiences has been that is what, if I had to say that anything was the very first thing to pave my pathway to my spiritual journey, it was researching near death experiences. And I've had one of my own. So I got a, I got a couple of suicide attempts under my belt. I don't know if you've ever. I've been there. Um, oh, I haven't heard you mention it. I have been kind of to that level. I've never tried, but I have been considering, you know, at that point when I was 16. So it's a bloody hard place to be. Um, so what what happened in your near-death experience? Well, I don't even really like telling the story because it sounds so stupid. It, and all the, re the research and the videos that I've listened to, I hear these amazing stories, you know, like being in the tunnel with the bright light and, and 
all this information. You suddenly know everything and it feels so blissful. And, and that's what I was wanting to experience. And that's not at all what I experienced. Um, I, man, this, I just don't even like telling it, but I'll tell the story. I invited a friend over and the house that I was living in, like maybe a month or two before I moved in there, the lady that was living there died in the living room. And I had a friend over and I told her that she said, Oh, do you want to talk to her? And I was like, what do you mean? Talk to her. She goes, I can talk to dead people through Ouija boards. And I was like, what? You know, I'm, I'm a full blown alcoholic at this point, you know? And this, this is when my life was this before the tarot and everything kicked off there. Yeah. Yeah. This is way before this was 2014. And, uh, so she made this little homemade Ouija board and we started playing with it. She made it out of a, a cardboard box and she put on it with, with permanent marker and use a beer bottle cap is the little right. thing. A, yeah. Yeah. So we're, we're, we put our hands on this little thing and she starts asking questions and she's moving it like crazy. And I'm sitting here thinking, this is so stupid. This is so dumb, but I, I barely knew this person. So I'm sitting here thinking, okay, how can I like get out of this without being rude and without embarrassing her? So I came up with this little plan. I was like, okay, let me ask it a question. Are you a spirit that knows me? And it went to yes. And I was like, okay, what's your name? And then it spelled out the name of my dead grandmother. And I went, whoa, we got to stop this right now. She goes, why? I said, that's my grandma's name, Jeanette, J-E-A-N-E-T-T-E. -E -E. Not really Not a, a common that, name. No. And she goes, oh, we're talking to your grandma? I was like, no, no. Matter of fact, she would roll over in her grave right now. She knew that I was playing with one of these things. She would never communicate to me through a Ouija board, you know? So we tore it up and threw it away. And my house started going insane. Cabinet doors slamming, you know, like peanut butter jars flying off the counter. It just started going crazy. And like I said, I was a full-blown alcoholic. I'd be sitting around drunk watching this stuff happen. Like, whoa, that's cool. Well, anyway, I had been really, really, really suicidal for about a year. And when I say suicidal, it went beyond just considering and I, I started to go numb, you know, like no emotion, no sadness, no nothing, numb. And, and I don't really know how to put words to it. And one thing led to another. I was really, really drunk. We were sitting at the table talking. And the, I, all I remember is thinking to myself, okay, you know what? I'm going to do it. And I kind of vaguely remember going down to the cellar, tying a belt up to the rafter, and putting it around my neck. But my next conscious memory is I'm inside the wall of my cellar. And above me, all around me, is nothing but nothingness. Just, I don't even know how to describe it. Just black, dark nothingness. But there was a little portal that I could see and I could tell it was really, it was kind of blurry, but I could tell that through the other side of it was the inside of my cellar, but it was so blurry. I couldn't really make out the details of what was happening, but I think the weirdest thing about it was there was no stream of thought. I wasn't thinking, Oh my God, where am I at? How did I get here? What's going on? I was just there. 
I don't have any memories of my life. There was no thought. I, I don't, it's, it's so weird. And beside me were these other beings. There was about seven or eight of them. And they, we were all just kind of suspended floating in this darkness. And they were somehow all talking to me in my head at the same time. And I was responding to them. And the weirdest thing, it wasn't confusing. It was like I was carrying on 10 different conversations with 10 different people in my head at the same time. And, and I can't for the life of me remember the details of it. But at the time, it made perfect sense. I understand ex exactly what they were all saying to me and I could respond to them all. But the gist of it was you invited us in here when you were playing with that Ouija board. You invited us in. That was you were talking to us. We are pure negative energy. We're not here to hurt you. We're not. I, I can't put words to it, but it was like we are just pure negative energy, the same energy that creates that manifests as anger, bitterness, hatred. You know, those, those those feelings, we are the energy that manifests into those feelings, you know, and we were taking this form and you invited us in. And that was and 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 that was basically it. And I remember kind of looking through the little portal. And, and as soon as I thought to myself, I wonder what's over there. I shot straight through the portal. Across the room of my cellar and through the other wall, and I ended up in this big meadow. You know, it was like grass, like a nature meadow. And there was another being standing across from me, yelling at me. Like, not yelling, yelling, but like being very stern. Like, it reminded me of like a father, like my dad, is what it, it reminded me of. My dad wasn't even dead at that time. So I don't even know who it was. But And I could see myself. I was looking at myself from multiple perspectives simultaneously. Like from a bird's eye view, from behind me, from in front of me, from each side. And essentially, he was just saying, are you stupid? You know, you know better than that. You know not to be playing with that kind of energy. And something to the effect of the only way that you're going to be able to get rid of that energy is through some kind of spell work or witchcraft or some kind of seance or something like that, you know? And the next thing I know, I'm waking up in my bed. And that friend that I had was at the foot of my bed screaming and crying. You don't know what you just put me through, you know? And I'm like, what are you talking about? I just had the weirdest dream, you know? And then she told me, you ran down and hung yourself. Your face turned white. Your tongue was hanging out. You had no pulse, your heart stopped, and you wasn't breathing. And I had to do CPR on you. And I'm like, what? I thought she was lying. She said, go look in the mirror. I went and looked in the mirror, and I had a, a cut, a gash on my neck. It felt, like, it felt like I just got punched in the throat. And I was like, whoa, whoa. And then, and then I was kind of upset because I was like, that is not the kind of experience that I was hoping for, you know? And I and and like I said, I still have a really hard time telling that story because it just if I was to hear somebody telling that story, I wouldn't believe, it, you know, so I very rarely tell that story. Well, anyway, I thought, OK, well, I messed up. I need to do this when nobody's around 
and nobody can find me. So I planned for about three or four months. The only problem was at the time I was a single father. So I had two toddlers at the house and I'm thinking, well, I don't want to do this and just leave my kids upstairs where they could turn the stove on, burn the house down, run out into traffic or something like that. So that was my only concern was that I don't, I, you know, my kids. So I planned, I got home from work one day and I fed the kids and I set them down. They were watching TV and I picked up my phone and went down to my cellar and wrote the police department on Facebook. And I said, this is my name. This is my address. Somebody needs to come pick up my kids right now because I'm about to kill myself. And I sent the message and I saw the little thing go boop. So they, they viewed it. And then I threw my phone down and I put the belt around my neck and I dropped. And my next conscious memory, all I really remember is the most peaceful, peaceful sleep that I could. There's no words for it. And I'm awakening. I'm waking up. And you, you know that feeling you ever um, like you're kind of waking up in the morning and you're you're becoming conscious but your, your eyes are still closed and, you know, like right before the alarm clock goes off and you're kind of, oh, well, all right, well, when's the alarm? You know, that, that's what was going on. I became conscious and I thought I was waking up in the morning and I woke up before my alarm went off. I have no clue. You know, my memories were erased and I'm cold. I'm feeling really cold. So I start with my eyes closed looking for a blanket because I was going to try to pull the blanket up over me until my alarm went off. And then my nails dug in the dirt. My cellar had a dirt floor and I snapped my eyes awake and I went, what am I doing on the floor? And then I heard boom, 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 boom on the door upstairs. And I rolled over and looked and the belt was hanging up from the rafter and the buckle had snapped. And then I remembered what happened. I was like, oh my God, you got to be kidding me. And then that's when it all came rushing back and I remembered what happened. And then they, uh, they grabbed me up, took me to the hospital to x-ray me to make sure I didn't break any vertebrae or anything like that. And they stuck me in a mental institution. And then I ended up staying there for about 30 days. And, and then after I got out of there, that's when I ended up going homeless. And then, you know, that's how that all fits into the story. But yeah, those are my experiences. Not mm. uh, what I hoped for, you know, but not what, not what you'd hope for, but not particularly unusual. I think those that you read about, and hear about are those that are you know so vivid that they become popular which is why they're circulated more online but there are you know a huge huge number of experiences who have never shared their experience and many in the literature out there that are very similar to yours i mean that the experience of being in nothing with a, a light at the end or a portal in your case at the end people call that the void and they describe exactly what you did that you're just there you're just being there's no thought um you know um telepathic communication with other beings is very very common never myself heard it um from negative entities which represent negative emotions or whatever whether that was kind of your mind interpret interpreting what you saw as that and especially with the playing with the ouija board beforehand there could be some kind of mental painting of the experience but this core experience is is there and it is surprisingly more common than you'd probably realize really yeah very common indeed um and as you say you know shooting through and going into a meadow meeting someone in a meadow you know a, a meadow or a garden is an extremely common experience in near-death experiences 
Um, again, there could be some kind of mind painting over the idea of using witchcraft, and you know, because you had just used a, a Ouija board. So, since you were still, you know, you're still experienced, and you were still alive to say, um, you know, your mind would have been um, influenced in the experience to some degree. But that doesn't mean it wasn't an experience. It just means it was kind of interpreted in a certain way. But the fact that, as you say, you know, you had no pulse, you were white, you know, you were effectively not brain dead, but dead at the time. No experience should have really been possible. Um, and yeah. if we There's assume that... I'm sorry. Uh, there there was actually another part that I left out of the story. I'm sorry to interrupt you. But um, like at the time, I knew nothing about witchcraft or spell work or anything like that. So I, I'm like, what what does that mean? Well, apparently my brother, who I wasn't raised with, like I said, I was taken away from my parents and then my parents moved down to North Carolina and had my brother and I didn't meet him until I was 10, didn't grow up with him and barely had any kind of relationship with him at all. But he came over and I told him what happened with the Ouija board. And he goes, oh, do you want me to cleanse the house for you? And I was like, what? And he goes, yeah, I do witchcraft. And I remembered that. I was like, really? And he goes, yeah, I know how to how to cleanse the house and make all this crazy activity stop. And I thought, well, yeah. So he did. He did a little ritual. And then all the crazy activity in the house stopped. And I remember that. I was like, whoa, that's bizarre. That's that's the little detail I forgot. I left out of the story. But as you say, you know, quite relevant because if these experiences were happening, the paranormal experiences in your in your house, you know, physical manifestations of poltergeist activity or whatever you want to call it, um, followed by a cleansing, which I'm, I'm not, I'm not really that knowledgeable about paranormal experiences. As I say, I'm more near death than life after death sort of thing. But it does interest me because it certainly does seem to happen. And then to have that stop after this cleansing, immediately, I'd imagine, after this cleansing, that kind of does make you think what's going on. Did Were these... How could you tell that these paranormal experiences were, were genuinely happening as opposed to kind of, um, I suppose, artifacts of a drunken mindset? Yeah, that that's what confused me about the story for the longest time. I wouldn't even tell that story, you know. Mm. Like I, I wanted to have one of these experiences. Only I didn't want to come back from it, you know. I yeah, wanted to, yeah. I wanted to, to go all there. the way. Mm. Yeah, and I, I was just so like disappointed. Like, man, that is not what I hear. You know, the most popular kind of near death experience. And for the longest time, I, I wasn't one hundred percent sure. I really wasn't. But over the past couple of years, I just kind of started thinking to myself, well, I mean, I don't know what else it could be because the the because it makes sense when you because, like I said, I'm a, a, a former very heavy drug user and I've done drugs that make you hallucinate and, and stuff like that. And when you have a hallucination or you have like a nightmare or something like that, typically it's usually correlated with something that is going on in your mind, you know. And like, for example, when you watch a scary movie and then you have a nightmare, you know, something kind of tied into that scary movie or when you have a hallucination when you're on some kind of drugs and it's correlated with, you know, your thought process or something to that effect. And these things right here were completely out of the realm of anything that I even believed in at the time. You know, I didn't believe in Ouija boards. I didn't believe in, in demons and spirits. You know what I'm saying? So I just kind of got to thinking to myself, well, if something like that can happen that is beyond what I even believe in, I would imagine there's probably something to it. So 
that that's basically what made me think it must be genuine, you know? Yeah, and as you say, as we know, hallucinations are generally very sporadic, very unusual, and just don't make any sense, whereas paranormal activity in a house following a Ouija board experience is common. <laughs> you know, more common, again, than I, I think people would realise, because most people wouldn't want to discuss it because they think they're going mad. But, you know, from what I've seen, as little of it as, and, you know, there's probably a lot more that I haven't seen, but that this is common, you know, paranormal activity following a Ouija board. It's also very common to have psychic phenomena take place from oneself after a near-death experience. You know, people's watches will stop and they'll be able to read minds, if you want to say that, or they'll be able to, you know, communicate with, with what they believe to be deceased people. It's very common. And I think it kind of, these experiences act as a as a catalyst to exploring the nature of i mean not not even just exploring psychic phenomena and all that but then looking deeper and, and questioning what does that mean about what i am what does that mean about you know the way the world is because it's not at all what i was taught it to be you know have mm -hmm. have you experienced much in the way of skepticism towards either your tarot readings or um any experiences that you've had the paranormal stuff or the near-death experiences if you've talked about them from other people yeah and, yeah, and, uh, and yourself, you know, and yeah, what, what yeah. have they said? Um, well, I mean, it's not really, it's just usually they don't believe in it, you know? And, and the thing, the thing that gets me though, is the people who are the closest to me, you know, I have family members who from a distance, like watched my whole journey through like social media of me going homeless and then talking about, you know, law of attraction, manifestation, this and that. And they literally watched me go from living under a bridge and eating out of a trash can to, you know, where I am today, which I'm very well off today. And they still don't believe. They still don't believe. Oh, you just got lucky. Or, oh, you know, this. And, and there's some people who, like, no matter what you tell them, they don't want to believe it. You know, because that's one of the things that I've learned on my journey is that uh, we tend to build this little box of beliefs that keep us comfortable. And there's a lot of people out there who like will fight to defend those beliefs, you know, and that's the reason why anymore today, if you don't believe in, you know, what I do or what my beliefs are, like, I don't care because it usually it would really, really upset me. You know, I'd be like, yeah, but, and I would tell them, you know, I, I learned things from doctors and like a NASA scientist taught me the science of this stuff, you know, and it's like really hidden and suppressed science as to how this stuff works. And you watched me go from there to here and, oh, you don't want to believe it. Oh, I see what's going on. Like the evidence that I'm giving you threatens your identity because you built your identity around these belief systems and i'm providing you with evidence that makes you feel like your identity that you built your whole life is invalid i was like oh okay so yeah and, I, and I, I think it's a shame because you know at the at the core of it something that challenges your entire worldview and as you say your entire identity is a terrifying thing you know the human mind is much more is much happier with the familiar but i think that's just a surface thing because if you consider a, an alternative worldview based on the evidence that maybe you provided to your friends or whoever else and you go a little bit deeper and look at what that implies i th i think you know that new worldview 
would far outweigh you know the benefits of your current worldview and could mean you know a lot of positive things i mean even the idea that we don't lose consciousness forever at death is a huge probably the biggest discovery that a human being could ever make and mm -hmm. you know yeah. the, Im the implications of understanding that must be 50 times more comforting and just uplifting than a, a materialistic kind of nihilistic viewpoint but again you know without looking further into the implications of what you what you are telling these people it does seem a very terrifying thing yeah and, and you mentioned a name earlier that really caught my interest evan alexander mm -hmm. he in my opinion is like the greatest asset to the the near-death experience community you know yeah like there's these skeptics who don't believe in it at all it's just a trick of the dying brain and this and that and i'm like yo check this out there's yeah. this neurosurgeon who had a near-death experience and he came back and he can literally point to it and say well according mm. our scientific model i shouldn't have had any experience at all and i have all the scientific mm. evidence you know so that's it because i mean the, the interesting thing with eben is he had a gram negative bacterial meningitis which mm destroyed his prefrontal cortex, his entire neocortex which is the part that makes us you know lucidly aware and self self-aware so uh, the only argument you could have that has been raised is that this experience took place before the meningitis riddled his his brain but uh, you know as far as i'm aware that it took place very quickly from when he had a terrible headache to when he was you know riddled with it so and some of the some of the recollections of, of people around him his family and what they saw and what Eben saw them see you know and things like that and his sister it's, it's a very long experience but the timing of that seems to correlate to when he was in a very very bad way in hospital with no neocortex um, activity he's a very interesting one to talk to if, if you like I can reach out to him and ask if he'd be interested on getting in touch with you for your podcast I'm sure he would that'd be um, awesome yeah I'll, I'll do that um yeah and, and as i say now he has been riddled with with skeptical um ideas and there was a whole article written about him in it in the esquire magazine is it a magazine or a journal i don't know but then there was a counter argument to that and it's it all go but generally the the argument is well he was a failing neurosurgeon with blots on his record so he had to do something so he made this experience more um incredible than it was in order to write this book and make a lot of money out of it possible but when you talk to the guy when you listen to the details and when you really consider the research done in near-death experiences and other phenomena as a whole and incorporate his, in, his experience into that it, it seems much more parsimonious to me to think well maybe there was something to it then yeah and I mean, not only that but like for somebody in his field like I would imagine that if he was failing and, and had these problems on his record or whatever the case may be, like, why would he turn to that? That could have potentially been career suicide, you know? Like, so you're going to do something that literally puts you in the, the line of fire in the scientific community and in the neuroscientific community because you were failing? Like, mm. I didn't even make any sense. Mm. I don't know but you know the main thing is it, his experience is not unusual outside of the fact that he was a neurosurgeon and lo, a lot of people have, des have described this kind of thing and you know I've always said 
the the one thing that interests me about near death experiences i can always attribute it to a dying brain until you have have you heard of veridical perception mm -mm. It's essentially the verifiable aspects of perception during near-death experiences. So someone comes out of their body, they see something they shouldn't be able to see, they come back, report it, and it's accurate. It's verified by someone else. And, you know, as I say, I can always attribute a near-death experience that's purely subjective. I could attribute yours quite easily to a dying brain. You know, if I was pushed, <laughs> I, could, I could believe that. But when you have something that shouldn't have been able to be perceived being verified as being perceived when it shouldn't have been that's when suddenly that kind of explanation no longer fits and it kind of brings it into the realm of, of an objective reality that maybe needs more experience or more um, research you interest me with the nasa scientist who talks about this kind of thing uh, the law of attraction um because that's something that again as you say could be potentially career suicide so mm -hmm. it's someone like a NASA, an ex-NASA scientist to talk about this sort of thing must entail that he really or she really believes this. So what, what kind of science did, did they discuss around how this works? Well, this kind of goes back to, um, like I said, when I was new on my journey and I had heard about law of attraction and, you know, done all the research by looking at all the free videos and whatnot on YouTube and had been playing with it, making little things happen here and there. And, you know, enough to the point to where I, I had bought into it because I'm the type of person that, you know, when I hear like some type of argument or debate, I don't feel comfortable debating it or arguing it until I put myself through it. You know, so I'm like, well, I'm going to see if this is legit. You know, so I had bought into it to the point, but I still wasn't quite getting the whole picture. I was thinking there's something missing here. There's something that's missing from from all this law of attraction talk that I don't know if I'm just not getting it or if it, if the people are just not explaining it. And I just kind of remember sitting there to myself one day saying, OK, universe, whatever it is that I'm not getting, I'm ready for you to show me what it is. And I, I said it out loud. And maybe two days later, um, I was scrolling through Facebook and I saw this video that was titled former NASA scientist or NASA scholar or whatever the case may be, uh, reveals the truth about energy or something like that. You know, it was a catchy title. So I, I clicked on it and I was like, hmm, that's interesting. And I and so I started looking this dude up and it, it turned out that he actually had a... Um, a mind mastery school at the time it was called the the school of thought mechanics and where he says that you know all these mainstream teachings and stuff like that there's several key factors that they leave out and i thought well i want to know what it is so essentially it's it's i mean it was hours and hours and hours and hours and hours of video footage but long story short the general gist of it is this your thoughts produce gravity and they have the technology to measure the gravity. Gravity is the only force that's actually capable of attracting, trapping, and distorting light, which is what everything is made of and what everything manifests from is the light realms. And what it, what's, what's happening, anytime you think about, focus on, obsess over, or just simply feed your attention to anything, is you are holding a gravitational clamp 
onto the quantum field and you're holding it there so that it can't move. And this is the thing that gets left out of most mainstream law of attraction teachings. And that is only when your thoughts and your focus are removed from whatever the subject matter is, only when that happens is it able to flow because you've released it from the, the clamp that your focus is producing. And this is why there's so many people out there that can't figure out how to make it work, you know, because we're taught, you know, visualize and this and that. And, and arguably, there, there's mixed opinions on that. But while you're visualizing, while you're thinking about it, while you're focused on it, you're pulling a clamp onto the quantum field and nothing can move. Only when you release it and completely forget all about it is it able to flow. And I, I didn't understand that for the longest time. I was like, what? What are you talking about? And, I, and it, it took me about a year to fully wrap my mind around, oh, I get it. So let's say I want to make more money. Is it more money that I'm wanting? No. It's not. It's not. It, I'm not. It, I want no. more money. It's the effects of that on your well-being. Mm. Yeah. What it is that I'm wanting is to not need to worry about money. That's what it is that I'm wanting. Money doesn't create that. So what I have to do is I have to be as if I already make that money. What would that be like? What that would be like is when I go grocery shopping to get eggs, cheese, milk, and bread, I do just that. I go grab eggs, cheese, milk, and bread, and I'm not even thinking about money. It's not even on my mind. I don't even see the price tag. I have no clue how much it costs. Don't care. Swipe my card. Don't even know how much it costs. Don't even know. How much did you just spend? Oh, I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? I don't know. I wasn't even thinking about it. When I go to get gas at the gas station, I have no clue how much gas costs. I'm not like, oh, no, it's a quarter cheaper down the street. Oh, I got to turn around and go save a quarter. I don't even know how much it costs because I'm not thinking about it. So, and this is just an example because everything manifests the same way. So I have to retrain my brain to stop thinking about money first. And that takes time. So I'm having to... And, and that kind of goes into with what Dr. Joe Dispenza teaches, where you have to program your mind to work a certain way by, you know, like forcing a thought over and over and over until it burns itself into your subconscious mind. And, you know, you're rewriting your neural circuitry with thought alone. So I'm having to form the habit of not thinking about worrying about money first. And this makes sense now, because if I'm not thinking about money and I'm not worried about money, then I'm not pulling a gravitational clamp onto the flow of money. See what I'm saying? So mm -hmm. that one little, yeah, that one little key factor, you know, of, mm. of the science of how all this works is how I figured out, you know, mm. it works. It is, it is a very deep subject that does require a lot of, kind of a lot of time and thought really looking into it because it's still very, up in the air for me because I haven't had a time to really look at it but I mean, what you're saying makes sense to me from a physical point of view because you, as you say you know we know that gravity can affect light 
through you know phenomena like gravitational lensing but for me it's a question of well how can thoughts which are intangible create a gravitational force and how can that kind of sway the the nature of outcome to create events as opposed to you know just um atomic kind of restructuring or, or you know physical laws affecting it because you know outcome and desire and things like that aren't physical so how can a, a physical force like gravity acting on a physical substrate like the quantum field change you know desire to suit me you know it's things like that that is that does require a lot of a lot of thought and a lot of deep understanding on the on the real implications of the law of attraction which i'm not overly familiar with um, but i'm sure you know that that sort of question came across to your mind as well Mm -hmm. did, did yeah. you... it took me out took about a year i was sitting for about a full year trying to wrap my mind around that concept and it just wasn't clicking you know and i would say things like well how am i supposed to stop worrying about money i'm broke and they would say you don't worry about money because you're broke you're broke because you worry about money we're looking and, and again i'm just using money as an example because that's what everybody always wants to manifest and it's like what we're looking for is to not need to worry about money. We're doing it backwards. We think that I need to get the money first. Then I'll stop worrying about money. Then I'll have the freedom, you know, and, and it, and it does get more deep, deeper and more convoluted than this, but no, essentially the money that you make, whatever it is, that is a reflection of your relationship with money. Money will not be a solution to how you feel about money. So if I have a bunch of debt and all I worry about is debt and can't pay my bills and I make stupid financial decisions and this and that, and you dump a million dollars on me, is that going to fix my problem? Mm, no. Oh, I'm um, going to um, Yeah, we've seen that, especially in this country. There was an example of someone who won the lottery, which I don't know if you have. Do you have the lottery over there? You have sweepstakes and things like that, which is similar. But over here, you know, we had the, uh, the lottery and a guy who had, very little money won something stupid like 220 million pounds or something which is probably 500 million dollars or something and within you know a few years he he completely bankrupted himself buying these mansions having parties putting you know go-kart racing tracks in his backyard and things like that so having all that money doesn't necessarily mean you know the rich get richer because it's about how you your relationship to that money you know money shouldn't be a priority it should be and it is generally happiness should be a priority and money is a tool of how to make sure you get more of that not only for yourself but for other people and i think you know just the way that our society looks at money as the priority as you say leads to more um, negativity and more stupid use of it than uh, than it should and you know that example of the lottery winner shows that he had all the money in the world and it was gone within a year or two because he just yeah. didn't have the uh the knowledge of, of how to use it appropriately. Mm -hmm. And I had to learn it the hard way too, because I was one of those people, you know, when you hear people say money doesn't buy happiness, I was one of the people that did not subscribe to that philosophy. I thought that was BS. I was like, whatever. That's just something that rich people say to try to sound humble. And that's something that broke people say just to justify being broke. I've lived below the poverty line my whole adult life. I've never made more than minimum wage. I've spent time homeless. Give me some money and watch how happy it makes me. And then I started making money, you know, 
pretty good money. You know, I mean, I'm not going to say how much I make, but I'm, I make more money than your average doctor, you know, and I learned real quick, real quick. Oh, wow. They're right. Money does not create happiness. And I had to learn that the hard way, you know. And another good example of that is look at someone who, you know, had almost, you know, an infinite pit of money, someone like Robin Williams. He had, every, you know, everything he could ever want. He could buy whatever he wanted any time of the year. But because he had that that conflict inside mentally, you know, everything was painted as a negative enough for him to want to take his own life despite having that. It's the foundations that's important, not the, you know, not the money. So mm. it's it's a matter of shifting one's priority from having a lot of money to finding happiness, you know, yeah. however that is, you know, there's the difference between being positively selfish and being negatively selfish. One has to be positively selfish in order to be, to find happiness, you know, mm -hmm. is a necessity of being, being human. And I think, yeah. you know, being, I always tell people that if you want to be of service to others, you have to be of service to yourself, you know, like me, for example, like doing tarot card readings or something like that. Like if I don't make sure that I'm in tip top shape, I'm of service to nobody. And that's the case. Like we've been, it kind of seems like we've been programmed to believe that the only thing that makes you a good person is being so self selfless that you completely deplete yourself. And I don't really subscribe to that. Like service, to self, service to others, service to self people are of service to only themselves and they don't care who they have to, to get it service to others, I have to, you know, the, the analogy I give is like, if you can imagine that the hospital never takes their fleet of ambulances to the mechanic, you know, eventually somebody's going to die because that thing's going to break down. If you've got the foundation in yourself and you've, you've found happiness in yourself and you're content with yourself, then you can help bring those qualities to other people because you understand it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, um, and it's tricky. Yeah. very tricky. It is tricky. And I, I find generally that a lot of folks that are able to do that are people that have either struggled a lot in their life or you know have very little but are happy in themselves with what they have and that's mm -hmm. the important thing you can be very happy with with no money you can be very happy with all the money in the world the money mm -hmm. is just you know the catalyst to help you achieve that and it's the yeah. happiness at the end of the day that is the goal and to be able to share that happiness with not only other people but you know all the creatures that live on the on the planet mm -hmm. that's another thing that i kind of had to learn the hard way is when i went homeless you know up until that point i was the most negative ungrateful person on the planet you know and then it wasn't until i found myself with nothing but a couch cushion and a blanket and that was my bed that i slept on up under a bridge and then i learned what it's like to think man if i just had if I could just take a shower, that would be such a blessing, you know? And then when I turned myself into the homeless shelter, it looked like, it was like a boot camp, you know? And it was this big room with all these bunk beds with a hundred other guys, you know, and it stunk and you had to go to the bathroom and shower in front of everybody. I felt like I hit the lottery. I was like, oh, thank you. And then that's when I really started understanding what true gratitude really is you know there yeah yeah but you know being very selfish being unappreciative of what you got is a necessary step in developing that appreciation through mm -hmm. you know through learning that you had something great you lost it because of your own selfishness around and i've you know everyone's been there but then when you come back up to the top or back up to you know a, a reasonable state of living you then think you know 
Christ, I'm very, very lucky to be where I am, you know. Mm -hmm. And again, coming back to the money, people that are born into never having to worry about the money will very rarely develop that because they don't have to. And this is where a lot of the selfishness comes from because they never have that experience of losing it all and having to build it back up again. It's just mm -hmm. always there and it's taken for granted. But that is also, you know, their own journey and it will be better benefit of, of benefit in some way in their spiritual growth, if you want to call it that. Mm -hmm, absolutely. It's all a, it's all a big journey, all a big school, I think. Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. I wouldn't want to go back and relive it, but when I do take a look back at my story, you know, if I had the patience, I could sit down and make my story a book. I think it's a fascinating story to look back on, you know, mm. and, for it. you know, those experiences that were so hard to go through are now not only of benefit to yourself in your own personal growth, but also to the others that you tell about it, who are maybe going through it at the moment and don't see a way out. And it, 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 it is, every, I strongly believe everything happens for a reason, whether mm -hmm. it be through your own, um, your own intentions through the, the law of attraction, or whether it be just fate playing out the way it plays out, maybe orchestrated by these other beings or whatever is beyond us. I think everything happens for a reason and everything is there to teach you something. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's, that's one of those things where I'm just like, like what you just said, is it fate or is it manifestation? I drove myself so nuts trying to figure that out. I just let it go. I don't know. You know what I mean, it is. Yeah. What, I've received some like mind blowing testimonials from people who will write me saying, you know, I started listening to your advice when I was homeless living in my car. And just yesterday I signed the deed. I own my own home now, you know, and, mm. and when I hear things like that, I'm like, okay, well I'm doing my job, you know? Mm. Indeed. So with, with tarot, just, I don't know how much time you've got. Um, you're right to keep going for a bit. I got about 25 more minutes and, 25 I, and, minutes. and I'm in. I'm interviewing okay. somebody for my nice. podcast. Okay, so I'll say the last question. Is tarot, talking about fate and, and kind of intention, is tarot reading, are tarot readings mainly focused on the fates that would occur, as you say, without intention? And how does how does that work? Well, I think, like I said, I think that's most people who come to a tarot card reading, that's what they're expecting, you know? And I just believe that we are in a day and age where we are awakening and we're expanding our consciousness and we are all incredibly powerful beings. And if you come to me for a tarot card reading saying, what's going to happen to me, you're giving me all of your power, all of it, you know, and I don't want your power. I don't need to have my own, you know, so I'll go ahead and I'll flip the cards and, and I'll tell them, you know, what it looks like is going to happen. But I put all the emphasis on here's how this was manifested and if you don't like this if you don't want this to happen you don't have to deal with that As a matter of fact here's what you do to make something happen that's more beneficial to you and i i like i said i didn't i never even wanted to be in this position i didn't want to be a tarot card reader because you know i just i thought it was stupid and it was you know you see the tarot card readers and they're the little gypsy ladies you know and 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 but i'm really feeling like i was put in that position for just that reason to because i i want to help every single person on this planet understand how powerful they are and understand how to create their own future so uh, i think to answer your question directly though what, what can you repeat that again for me um so, so effectively you know does 
is tarot the reading of fate as it would play out without intention in you know taking effect traditionally yeah traditionally so that's what most people think that it is and i think that there's more to us than that i think when we approach it from that perspective again we're giving away all of our power and we're approaching it from more of a victim's mentality of what's going to happen to me you know like and i and well, you tell me what's going to happen to you what do you think happened you know and i suppose it kind of circles around if you're if you go in believing that what you're told is going to happen then you're adding power to that outcome with your intention unconsciously because you then believe that that is definitely what's going to happen that creates it and it all comes down like a big spiral so mm -hmm. it's uh yeah but if you realize that you have an active input in changing the outcome however you potentially desire it to be then that adds power to your own fate mm -hmm. i suppose mm -hmm. you hit the nail on the head exactly yeah. i suppose i should ask one last questions it is the focus of my my interests uh so with, with all your experiences with your you know your suicide near-death experiences your tarot experiences your ouija board paranormal experiences all that sort of thing what do you th think of the the concept of death and what it means um oh wow that's a pretty deep question <laughs> The, the the meaning of death is that is that what you what what, like, what do you see death as being do you see it as being you know the cessation or the destruction of consciousness forever do you see it as a journey do you see it as you know the doorway into another life how do you see what what do you think happens at death i see this life planet earth and the humans as being i look at it like a game people call it a school i guess you can look at it that way i'm not going to dispute that but universally, it's like a game. And this is just one of infinite games that you can play. And in this particular universe, it's the hardest game to play. And there's lots and lots of beings who come here and really get addicted to this game. You know, because you get in here, you forget who you are, you forget the plan. And, you know, when you come in here with that intention to play the game and get into it, then that's when basically you you leave and, and death to say what is death that's to me the end of the game of this particular game and then you go back up and take a look at it and if you're one of those beings who are into the game then you say man i didn't get that right okay let me go back and try it again you know and to me i look at it like like the being most of the beings who are here not all of them but a lot of them are kind of like video game junkies you know so like when you're playing a video game and then your your character dies i don't i don't see consciousness being destroyed no not at all i think we're just a little teeny weeny little fraction of consciousness you know put into this little vessel and i heard somebody describe it like if you could imagine that this this there was an octopus who had the end of all of his tentacles in one glass of water and into that tentacle in that glass of water then that's you and then you're focused on that little experience and then when it pulls it out that's kind of like because we're all we're all a, a, a an extension of this one big source of consciousness that is just coming in here and experiencing this one little perspective and then when you leave you return back to all of that and you see i don't, I don't really know if i can you know get a punchline yeah, it is a, it is a very complex concept though so it is very difficult to nail down <laughs>